Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week we are talking about uh, the Christopher Guest film Best in Show. Uh, my name is Alan. I am joined as always by Sol. Hello. And today we have a new guest, uh, Kate Sketchley. Hello. So Kate, um, you chose Best in Show when I, I asked you to pick a film. Or rather you, you sort of said, why don't we do something by Christopher Guest? And I think I kind of pushed towards Best in Show. But but um, yeah, why, why, what made you think of, when I gave you options of doing anything in the world, why did you go to Christopher Guest? I think I've been looking at his like back catalogue recently for some reason. I can't remember why. Oh no, no, I do remember why. It's because I was watching Shit's Creek over lockdown and finished oh. finished last uh, season. And of course, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are in it, and they're two of the like sort of staple cast members for all of Christopher Guest's mm-hmm. films. And and I thought back to watching Best in Show, and I think it's I think it's the only one that I've seen all the way through before. And I was just up for watching any of them really. Well, I I was full on with the idea. I, I I hadn't really occurred to me to do a Christopher Guest film. Of all the things we discuss, all ideas we have of doing films, we'd never come to Christopher Guest, had we? I think we might have mentioned him when we did The Office, which was one of our earliest episodes about four years back, because mm. uh, he was obviously a, one of the big big influences uh-huh. on uh, Ricky Gervais. Uh, but yeah, I don't think we've really mentioned him since or or gone into it. I think to me, the association will always and forever be the six-fingered man and the Princess Bride. But <laughs> uh, but yes, he also is is a very good director and writer. Yeah, and he's in uh, Little Shop of Horrors, isn't he, Sol? We, we must have discussed him on oh, that God. episode. Is he? He's the one who comes into the shop and goes, Excuse me, I couldn't help noticing that strange and interesting plant. What is it? Oh, of course he is. That See, every time I watch that film... I go, oh yeah, this is a weird part. Oh yeah, it must be a famous cameo. Who is it? And then I look it up and I'm like, oh yeah, that's Christopher Guest, isn't it? <laughs> I just, I seem to have a weird inability to retain what Christopher Guest is or looks like. Well, he's, I, I know exactly what you mean though, because his face, his face like is weirdly non-recognisable in a lot of ways. Mm. I've had exactly the same thing where I'm like, I definitely know him from somewhere, and then <laughs> and then he's just been in a million different things. And I think I think maybe because he looks so different in mm-hmm. Spinal Tap as well, that's sort mm-hmm. of my default mind's eye concept of what he looks like. Mm-hmm. So uh, Christopher Guest, yeah, best known in those early days uh, as part of Spinal Tap, uh, which obviously was a huge. Was it a cult hit or was it actually pretty mainstream? Uh, um, I don't know. I think it wasn't like massively successful to start with. I think I don't but... think it can be, could be, possibly yeah. just because of the style of it. But it's it's that mockumentary style, mm-hmm. uh, which Christopher Guest now has embraced completely. But obviously, he must have been an improv comedian, and you know, obviously, he's stuck with some of the same actors all the way through. Mm-hmm. But he he didn't direct Spinal Tap, of course. Um, that was Rob Reiner. But I, I, I'm not sure when it comes to this kind of production. Like how much direction do you have if you're kind of really letting the actors mm-hmm. f- uh, unfold the story to some uh, extent? Well, there was um, earlier, I think one of the other things I came across earlier that got me thinking about Christopher Guest in general was there. I saw um, like a an article that was like an oral history of Best in Show because in October it was the 20th anniversary of its release. And so it was like interviews with the actors and, and they were talking about that combination of having some structure and some overall vision from from Christopher Guest, but then also just a massive amount of like freedom to do whatever comes up in the scene. Right. Yeah. So Christopher Guest, he did Waiting for Guffman, which was mm-hmm. this kind of improv thing. 
that did okay. And he followed that with Best in Show. And then the other ones are Mighty Wind and, and For Your Consideration. This sort of series of films he did. They're all in the same style. where lots of the same actors. Uh, and I think that's perhaps not a good thing because you then you get this sense of diminishing returns mm-hmm. where it's like, ah, it's not quite as good as that one. And especially when a lot of the actors are the same as well. It just feels like mm-hmm. you're watching people messing about rather than actually making a film. That sounds good to me. That's, that's <laughs> your classic Will Ferrell, Seth Rogen yeah. job. Yeah. Well, that's Perfect. it. Will Ferrell got old pretty fast, didn't he? <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into the actual film then. It's a mockumentary. It is purportedly a documentary following the uh, participants in a dog show. That's your setup. And so we follow five specific people or couples, in most cases, with their dogs. And we, we get a little preamble. We see them at the show doing their thing. And then we have a, a, a little bit of a, a post uh, thing as well. But it, it, it does fill that criteria of what you'd see in those kinds of documentaries, which are fairly common. And you had, when was Spellbound? That was a, a big hit. That was literally it, like, the one I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. I think it was after. I think it was like between 2000 and 2005 or something like that. Spellbound 2002. Mm. So yeah, a little bit after, but I think it's quite typical. What's that other one? Drop Dead Gorgeous was that? that oh was yeah, that was nineteen ninety nine, I think. Really? I think so. That idea of this sort of standard form documentary was like, oh, let's go to like a quirky event and film the quirky people there, and then you you go back to their homes and do some interviews with them and stuff. And it, it ticks all those boxes. It, it it does fulfill what you would expect from a documentary about a dog show. And the other thing that I I think it does very well, it doesn't feel like it's going for comedy characters. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, as opposed to, say, if Will Ferrell did an improv film about a dog show, you know? absolutely. This feels like the actors Mm. trying to embody characters, and yes, they're a little bit kind of extreme in some cases. And there are some... I I think some feel like fully realised characters a lot more than others. I Mm -hmm. think some do feel very much just like broad. Go on then. One or two Be more specific. We've got a few enough characters to be able to uh, nail them down, I think. So there's the gay couple made up of the guy who's in every TV drama who I love but don't know the name of. Um, He was in the X-Files and Better (laughs) Call Saul. What's his name? Michael McKean. Yeah, that's him. Yes, who is yes, of course I, I one of him. the members of Smile Tap. He's he's quite pared back, I think. But then his yeah. partner feels like a very overt one-note comedy character. Well, John Michael Higgins is as yeah a very camp, uh, mm-hmm. classic camp character. But I thought he did it really well, actually. I thought that and like he's he's always throwing out little innuendos and stuff like that. But it, it yeah. always felt. Um, nicely worked and and like real he just felt like one of those big camp characters <laughs> i've never seen anyone as light on his feet as light as in the loafers here. no 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 oh no, no. what Stop. is the, oh no wait no, till i tell mom it's just he and the boys always seem to be it seemed to have the same prance the same it was like they were two members of the same body you might say. And it was it was a wonderful sight. I knew see. a guy who had two members on the same Will body. Will you stop and, it? I uh, doubt it. dated him for about a half In hour. In your dreams. got so exhausted. <laughs> I, I think a lot of the characters feel very much like they've just kind of randomly selected some personality traits and mm-hmm. thrown them together and then they kind of keep remembering they need to work it into what they're doing every now and then. Like what? Go on. Um... 
Because I think I think that though that couple, Michael McKean and John Michael Higgins, are quite well rounded and realised. I think Michael mm. McKean isn't doing much at all. He's just, which is yeah, you know, yeah, that's he's just, fine. He's yeah, there absolutely. to kind of facilitate John Michael Higgins a bit more. Oh yeah, it, feel, it feels like they're just kind of like each playing off of the other and and just sort of like bouncing off off of that back and forth. It does feel like they have a really good chemistry, and that works nicely. Mm. I really liked Christopher Guest. Um, yeah. as Harlan yeah. Pepper I think he I was, think he's one of my favourites of the film he's definitely one of the most rounded like real believable characters um, it didn't even feel like he was particularly going for comedy mm. most of the time some people think you know you're on a small creek a small body of water that you have to use a small fly but I've been in many situations even on a big river where I'm using a size 18 a size 20 a size 22 and I go with a dropper sometimes I go with a, a parachute add-ons and maybe I have a little PT nymph on the end, and you could hook a big fish. A lot of people don't realize that. I think you have to go with like a woolly bugger or a sculpting pattern or some kind of maybe egg sucking leech or something, which I've never, I've never had any luck with myself. He's yeah. also the one that really spends quite a lot of time on his own and doesn't have someone else to feed yes. off of or, or to yeah. like to get a bit of improv yeah. flow going. So I think that's quite a difficult thing to do. It's basically just him talking to his dog every time he has an interview. Mm. Yeah, and that's tough to just like, okay, no plan, be yeah. funny. <laughs> I mean, my, my favourite character by far is very much uh, an overt comedy character. but Is it not... Fred Willard? It is Fred Willard, <laughs> but I think that's okay, because he's not one of the main ones. He's just like an announcer whose job seems to be to annoy, antagonise the more professional well, announcer. Like he's, he's clearly been like brought in from, from commentating on like baseball and like real sports <laughs> yeah. and whatever. And so yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, he's only ever going to compare it to that. Yeah, I mean, if, I, I, also, I agree. I think Fred Willard's the funniest thing in the film, and I think he mm. is much more overtly comedic. But even saying that, it's it's still quite a realistic character in terms of when they get yeah like a color commentary uh, from someone who doesn't really know anything about the sport. Oh yeah, I I, I don't know if you follow the accidental partridge account on Twitter <laughs> that will just throw up little clips of you know digital TV channel presenters making fools of themselves. But yeah, you know you you get people who are every bit as funny as that in in real life. Uh, you know what would be funny? I don't know if they can do this. Uh, uh, just an idea off the top of my head. Why didn't he put the blood on, put on one of those Sherlock Holmes hats and put a little pipe in his mouth? Are they ever allowed to do anything like that, dress up a dog in a funny way? No, that's, uh, that's not quite what the uh, purpose of these shows is. But it would, I think it would really get the crowd going. You know, you know what I mean? The Sherlock Absolutely, Holmes hat yes. with the pipe. I don't know if you could make it look like smoke's coming out of the pipe. I think that would be a little dangerous. <laughs> I'd get a kick out of it. So yeah, the, the vast majority of Fred Willard's role um, is just sat in what is essentially a commentary box, and uh, they're very separate from the rest of the action. It was obviously filmed separately, and uh, they filmed it in a couple of days. But I have to say, I want to give full credit to uh, Jim Piddock, who is the other actor mm. who is with mm-hmm. him, who straight man. is the straight yeah. man, and <laughs> such a good straight man performance because... He is total. I, if you told me that he was, they brought in an actual guy who is an expert on dogs and just like. I genuinely got him to thought he was. Yeah, he's not. He's an actor, right? yeah. <laughs> but he just nails it absolutely perfectly. He doesn't play along with any of the jokes. Yep. When he does, it's in a kind of passive-aggressive, tired manner. I don't think I ever could get used to being probed and prodded. I, I told my proctologist once, hey, why don't you take me out to dinner and a movie sometime, you know? Yes, yes. Um, I remember you said that last yes, year. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's the perfect chemistry between the two of them, the perfect antidote to what Fred yep. Willard's doing. And that's why I think that works so well. Whereas, like, to make an obvious comparison, um, the characters, similar characters they have in Dodgeball, uh, the commentary yeah. characters, oh, yeah. which are much more overtly comedic and they're kind of, you know, it's yeah, just the, not... The one, the one time Jason Bateman has ever played a character that isn't just himself, that, that <laughs> not similar Dodgeball. <laughs> yes, no, I'm being told that Average Joes does not have enough players and will be forfeiting the championship match. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. But yeah, I agree. I think Fred Willard has all the best lines. Um, but I think that character is set up for kind of one-liners or... Oh, yeah, sort of. totally. Yeah, it's easier to be overtly comedic if you're not expected to have some sort of arc or storyline to worry about. <laughs> yeah, so Christopher Guest is Harlan Pepper. Uh, he's like a, just a good old country boy who owns a fishing store and he's got a dog. He, he's like he's a really likable character. He just seems mm-hmm. like a nice, down to earth guy. And we don't get we don't really get much development of him. He, he's just there to kind of bounce off of. And I I think that's the main failing of the film. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of things that happen where it's just like yeah that could come out here yeah, quite easily and yeah. I, I guess that's the nature of this type of film i think we talked similarly in borat uh, and that sort of thing to to create a structure on something and to create a plot line through something when you haven't started out with a plan uh, or even if you have a sort of general plan mm. you have these moments where oh that works really well it doesn't really fit with anything but i'm gonna use it anyway let's just go on with that and yeah, yeah, it's like the, 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 the character interactions are interesting and, and funny and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, the, you sort of, you learn a lot about them, but you also have no idea like really who they were or if they've changed at all, really. Like it's just sort of the, the different mm-hmm. sketches are enjoyable and like you see them all, you know, interacting and butting heads and whatever. But yeah, in terms of like through line development, it's not quite the same. And I, I, I thought I found it actually very, not sketch like isn't quite the word, but it, it mm. really is this kind of. Uh, very basic oh look th- it's this round of these dogs oh it's this round of these dogs yeah. then it's this round of these dogs and it's the final and in, in the final when they're doing the final they literally go through every dog and they just do this little run around and there's seven dogs and it's just Fred Willard just improving his <laughs> just making things up to yeah. fill the time yeah and, it's, yep. and like we're not getting any it just feels like at that point there should be something crazy going on backstage you know there's something going on behind the scenes and mm-hmm. everything's kicking off and it never quite feels like it's building to anything. <laughs> I think this is also, I had this thought as well, but I also th- was thinking that like, since then there's been 20 years of quite a lot of like mockumentary style films that have added on and made it more complicated and, and added in like lots of different uh, like storytelling devices and stuff. So mm. it, it feels like, it does feel like an early version of the, the format. Yeah. I mean, it, we've already talked about a couple of things that came before it, but yeah, it's, I don't want to fault it too much. I actually think it's fine. Uh, but yeah, if I'm picking faults, mm. it's the structure is loose at the very least. Mm-hmm. But it does all hang together. It doesn't. It makes sense and it has a it yeah. has a through line because it's a competition. We we reach a yeah. crescendo. But then there's the bit where the woman who's playing the wife of Jean Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara. So right at the at the. 11th hour she hurts her knee and yeah. Eugene Levy has to walk the dog it, it sort of comes out of nowhere it really adds nothing it means nothing it does nothing and it's it just feels like we better throw something in at the end so it's not too just it's boring. a weird it's almost like a weird payoff for the 
setup that he literally has two left feet at the start of the film. Yeah. But I don't I don't really know what what they're trying to say with it. Because all. it happens so last minute, he, he doesn't even have time to kind of get worked up about it or worry about it or or you know we could have a montage of him practicing or you know anything that you might think let's try and do that and we see him doing it badly and. I, that's another thing, right? The world of dog shows, not something I'm particularly familiar with. <laughs> but it does seem like a total nonsense. Like, even <laughs> like even within oh, this it film, it's just like, ah, yeah, the judge, it's very subjective. It's just basically which dog do they like the look of? I mean, what are you going to do? I, there, there's My understanding is that there's actually a lot of, like, actual measuring of parts of the dog and it gets yeah, yeah, a bit yeah. um, it can be it can be like really detailed and really specific yeah. and like and the rules are very strict and it, it can get a bit you know fascist mm-hmm. <laughs> um in, in terms of like how well have you bred this uh but that's that's literally it though the and like genetics the... of this animal into a very specific set of guidelines in the the like interview article thing, they talked about their interaction with like dog show people as part of the the preparation for it. And like they had they had I think all but one of the dogs that were in the film were actually like show dogs who would go yeah, to shows. Yeah. And so their their handlers would do this in normal life. And the handlers that they had working with them had elements of like craziness that they were like making up in the film because it is this like really obscure sort of like strict world of rules which which is based on like the particular qualities of a certain breed that someone decided at some point is perfect yeah Yeah, it's it's just seems ridiculous i mean i don't like dogs so i always think dog people (laughs) are a bit weird anyway but people who breed dogs and like really get into this sort of thing it does seem creepy and and gross to me like it is well, so it's just completely completely fabricated. It's just like someone a while ago decided that this looked good or that like this dog used oh, to yeah. hunt, so it should still do something along those lines. And then, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously they're kind of based on look. Oh, this dog had to chase uh, rabbits down a hole, so it's small and thin, and you know, like that. There's kind of some historic precedent for why you breed them like that. But like, that's not what these dogs are being bred for, is it? You know. <laughs> yeah, you get dogs that are bred so that they can't breathe properly. Well, exactly. Or like their their hips are screwed. Yeah, yeah. One. They all get arthritis. Yeah. like halfway through there. But life. they have an excellent yeah. arch on their back in in the show, so yeah. it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, it all just seems a bit seedy and gross to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess. I think it's. I think it's also like worth a lot of money. Is the other thing. Yeah. If there was a cat show <laughs> like this. It would be it would be all those like weird looking cats that don't look quite right, that, you know. And, and really, you want a cat that's got a bit of, like a three legged cat or a cat with a deformed face, like something that's interesting to something. look at. That's that's the one you want to go with. I think I think there are cat shows, but I think they just yeah. don't do the sort of like the walking around bit because the cats just wouldn't have any of that. <laughs> yeah, you just plonk them on the table and go. It looks yeah, nice, basically. Yeah, very fluffy. <laughs> There was a bit where Fred Willard's character goes to the other commentator. He's like, so isn't it just like, which one is groomed the best? And then there's this awkward pause. And then it cuts away to somebody else. I thought that was a beautiful moment. Uh, So what other characters have we got here? Let's see. We have a young sort of yuppie couple, played by Michael Hitchcock and Parker Posey, who are pretty much the people in the film who are just really unlikable and like most most of the characters are at least you know mm. sympathetic and, and pleasant in some way 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's their fault so much, but I think there are times where this film veers into feeling as though you've had to go along to support your friend who's doing, like, improv comedy. <laughs> it's all a bit embarrassing. And I, I think that's particularly um, with those characters more than some of the others. Do you know, do you know what? I just want to... Just to just to sidetrack you a second, <laughs> that is one of my least favorite things is seeing improv comedy because if it's done well, you know, if you're a Jeff B. Davis, it's fine. But <laughs> if it's done even mediocre, it's just so cringeworthy and painful mm-hmm. to watch. Well, this is this is it, and I I think the threshold for how good improv comedy has to be is a lot higher for me than most people because i just don't really fr- frankly i don't find this film particularly hilarious like it's it is sort of like oh yeah it's okay but i kind of get that with like this is spinal tap i don't think is hugely mm. funny either people talk about it being the funniest film ever made and for yeah. me that's a film with like three great gags and then a lot of nice character work and padding but you you you're you're a fan of like yeah you say the will ferrell school of improv which is say a thousand things and then pick the three funny ones and use them all yeah whittle it down to some you know the gems and that's yeah. it they, similarly to we we were discussing borat too in mm-hmm. uh, a diminisode or well, actually i think it's a full-length bonus episode at this point but we were discussing that last night and um comparing it to the first it was the same thing where it was like right it doesn't feel like they were able to go out and film as much stuff as the first one for a number of reasons so it just it doesn't feel like they've whittled it down to the gems it feels like they've shot two hours of material yeah. and that's what you get and when you have skilled performers, you can get away with that. But you seem to be searching the Parker Posey, isn't hitting the? Hitting well, the I, I don't dislike. <laughs> I don't know if it's the acting so much as just there's no real comedy here. Like all the comedy seems to be trying to come from how stressed out she's getting, and she's just like focusing in on this one thing. But I think I think with those characters, I did. I would have really liked to see them like interact with the other competitors at some point. Yeah. Like I wanted to see a little bit of cross contamination between the different storylines. Um, mm. There's a bit mm, I really yeah. liked with um, Jane Lynch, who is yeah. the very competitive professional dog handler. Like she's very like she's the winner. And she goes over to see Christopher Guest and she's sort of looking and she's just sort of talking oh, yeah. to him, but the whole time she's like touching the dog, she's trying to get a feel of this dog. Like mm-hmm. it's done so well in that way that she's just kind of like, you know, you can tell there's an edge to the conversation, but nothing's really given away. I loved that scene. I thought it was really nicely done with the two. Yeah. That's the thing. I wish I wish there was more of that where like there was a sense of the stakes between them. Because like you sort of yeah. like, each of the characters often talk about the other dogs or the other handler or like talk about Jane Lynch's character. Yeah. So they like they know of each other, but it would have been really good to see like actual interaction between them. Yeah. But I, I think maybe what it is for me is that this does feel improvised, you know? And I've seen the same format of mockumentary comedy films that are very tightly scripted and therefore, to my mind, much funnier because mm. they're not just riffing and trying to figure something out. It, it, I just, I'm not that into improv comedy. <laughs> <laughs> like, when it works well, it's it's beautiful stuff, but I think 
more often than not, it's kind of not particularly funny stuff that you kind of give, you almost elevate to a different standard because they're making it up on the fly. And, you know, like Curb Your Enthusiasm's a, a good example, I suppose, because I know loads of people who, um, you know, for the record, I really like Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I know loads of people who, again, swear by it being the, the funniest show mm-hmm. ever made. And I, I don't, I think there's a lot of not great episodes of the show to be honest i don't think it's that amazing but a lot of the fans will go well it's it's all improvised isn't that amazing and it's like right yeah it, it feels improvised like every scene is <laughs> just larry david going in and going oh oh you, i can't believe you you you're you're an asshole you're an asshole larry no you're an asshole for like 10 minutes and screaming and then like next scene and there's usually a nice comedic plot structure <laughs> but like there's no kind of really good quips in there. Okay, you're a performer, right? You're an actor. Yes. So, do you, have you ever done improv? Yes, I have. How how do you feel about it? It used to terrify me. <laughs> because the, the, I think the natural reaction that a lot of people have when they try it when they like approach it for the first time is like the feeling of like, "Oh Christ, I have to be funny." Like from yeah. from the first second I open my mouth to the 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 last second I'm on stage. But I think once 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 I started using it like as part of like a devising process or like um, developing a character or like in service of like a larger show that wouldn't necessarily be improved, I think yeah, there's a lot of like use for it. But I think Saul, what you were saying about like yeah, there's a risk of saying just because a film has been improvised doesn't automatically mean it's amazing. There's a certain extra step I think you have to take when you're making an improvised based film because it just mm-hmm. doesn't read the same as like seeing some people just like have fun on a stage. I think, but I think, like I say, in, in doing it on film should give you so much more license to for freedom than than on the stage because it's not live. You can go, mm. you know what, that one didn't work. Let's use that other take that we did. Let's have a few goes at this. See what comes out. Mm. We can use well, the best I think bits. I, from what I understand, from like the the way that these films were made, was that like they would film like a large amount more, and there were, apparently there were like other like elements of storyline that just didn't get included. Yeah. So I think that's the other interesting thing is like if you generate lots of material, like what is the editing process to put it together to still maintain that kind of like lively energy without mm. losing random plot points here and there? Mm. I think basically I've I've seen funnier real documentaries. I think that's kind of my problem. <laughs> like I've seen a lot of really funny documentaries, and and this like there's there's nothing as funny in this as. Timothy Treadwell in Grizzly Man, or <laughs> or Claudio Fagrasso in Best Worst Movie, or or that, that any Bross number of documentary. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, Bros. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess there's that as well, and <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, we 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 dabble in comedy improv, don't we, Alan? We. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we break out our but I, I remember to be fair it, it was a learning curve we you and i did uh attempt a couple of improv scenes on on this podcast in the early days that i think we just took out of the edit entirely because <laughs> they just didn't work whatsoever but then fairly soon into it we realized all you had to do was kind of come up with a, a character name and the name is like what the character is <laughs> <laughs> and they just have to turn up and say, hello, my name is, and then go away. Yeah, it's called and the Chris the Moyles whole... approach to conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are you deliberately bringing this conversation to bring up our sad news? Uh, the, the, the the sad uh, passing away of our, our greatest we should comedy mention, character? We? Yeah. yeah, so unfortunately, listeners, um, uh, our, our friend, our, our colleague, Japanese Bond, 
um, sadly passed away last week. We heard, uh, you know, he was a he was a Japanese patriot. He had Japan forever on his mm. tattooed on his chest. Um, he did die in his home in the Bahamas. Uh, but yeah, so I suspect Saul that we will never hear from him again. <laughs> would I? We eat. He has canonically already died on the show and then just came back when, <laughs> when we felt like it one week. Oh, has he? So, so, I mean, anything can happen. You only live thrice. That's yeah. what I say. <laughs> oh, well. But yes, he has, He has, of course, just... Officially just speaking, Rest he has died. We'll see. We'll see what comes of yeah. that. I think he'll probably just pop up again one day. For... Zombie. Zombie Japanese one. Yeah, Kate, you obviously have no idea what we're talking about. But... <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, maintain a respectful silence in, in, uh, in recognition of your loss. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. you <laughs> um, anyway, let's get back onto uh, track here. So we were talking about uh, Parker Posey and Michael Hitchcock's characters, the yuppie yes. couple, which I think the characters are kind of nicely set up. They're, they're, like they're talking about their yeah. Starbucks and the catalogs and all that. It's kind of a nice little satire of that. Type of person. My favourite scene with them that I remember is the one where she goes to the pet shop. Yes. And, and it's because I find the shopkeeper quite funny, I think. Yeah. <laughs> She's a good foil for his very calm, measured sort of, okay, well, that's that's like a bee, isn't it? And I'm looking for a, um, a, a toy. A toy. It's a, it's a bumblebee. It's for, like a, um, um, for what kind of animal? For a dog. It's, it's a bee. It's a bumblebee. And it's furry. It's about this big. Okay. Right. Here it is. Is this it? No, that's the bear in a in a bee costume. Okay. Okay. I did like the number of very clearly, specifically planted bee yes. adjacent <laughs> <Yeah>. dog toys <laughs> that they could like, work with. He's got a wall, <laughs> a wall full of items. Yeah. And they're all like, as you would stack items, where it's like six of the same thing on a hook, and then one teddy bear in a bee costume yeah. on the top of it. <laughs> Just and, then, like and, a, and like the shopkeeper, the actor. <laughs> The actor playing the shopkeeper was like really gamely, like searching the wall to look for something, and they're like, "Oh, oh look, look at this thing right next to my hand." Yeah, <laughs> let me look everywhere except for right next to my face. I think the I think the teddy bear in a bee costume might be my favorite joke in the whole film. Actually, <laughs> I did like that. I think my favorite bit is I think it's this this obviously speaks to Parker Posey's improv skills when she's arguing with Ed Begley Jr., who's the hotel manager. Yeah, and she storms out, going, "Thanks a lot, you stupid." Hotel manager. Yeah. <laughs> Just being entirely accurate in terms of describing what he is. Yeah, I did like that that moment really stuck out to me, but I forgot that the film was improvised. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was a yeah. That's it. If yeah. that's a written line, it's a great bit of character, but yeah. it feels more like she just couldn't think of a good insult. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, have we talked about Jean Levy and, and Catherine O'Hara in any detail? They're, they're a kind yet, of a nice yeah. little suburban Florida couple who mm-hmm. have, uh, a, was it a Nor- Norfolk Terrier? Is that what it is? Yeah, Norfolk Terrier. I think Eugene Levy is one of the most universally likable oh, people yeah. in the world. Oh, absolutely. Don't say that. He's you know for he's... a fact he's going to get like, convicted of rape now you've said that. Everyone will be fine. If, it, <laughs> no, not, if nothing's come out now, he'll be he's fine. He's, um, I, I think he's bordering on that territory that you get people like Louis Theroux in, where it's just like, no one could possibly not love this person. <laughs> From any walk of life, any side of the political spectrum, he's just—he's just great. How could you not love Eugene Levy? He's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I love him. 
So yeah, I, I, I think that he's an incredibly likable presence in this yeah. film. And I think he just he's he's got the sort of like down to earth game for anything kind of attitude where he's just clearly invested in the whole process and really enjoys what he's doing. And that I, I always like seeing that when I'm watching someone in a film where you can see that like this was just a really fun process. Yeah. I mean I I don't think I've ever seen him play anything other than that Gene Levy character that he plays. Yeah. Always yeah. exactly yeah, the same. And, and That's all right. He seems to have got a good career out of that. I don't think I've ever seen him play a character that I find really funny, <laughs> now that <laughs> I think about it. I've seen him in a lot of stuff, and I love it when he turns up, but I mean, I don't know. I don't think I found American Pie particularly funny, just in general. Um, I'm watching Shit's Creek myself. I'm about six episodes in. Mm-hmm. And again, he's a nice lead actor. I like him, but... I don't know. It's it's weird, isn't he? He's just kind of comedy adjacent. Well, I think he's he's not. He's like he's never he's never had the energy of like someone who's who's trying to be a lead actor either. Like I think he he seems to enjoy being kind of on par with whoever he's working with. Not not trying mm. to like be an individual like lead name. Mm. I mean, I I think he's my favorite actor in this film, and you know, I I really like Fred Willard too. So that's I'm not saying that lightly. Gene Levy is credited as a writer on this film and the other sort of classic guest films, like mm-hmm. A Mighty Wind, Waiting for Government, all that. Him and Christopher Guest are the credited writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think he is obviously pretty well involved from the beginning. They obviously come up with mm. the Perhaps they come up with the characters together and, and uh, the sort of general plot ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, the two left feet thing was obviously something they had to come up with ahead of time so that the prop department could get (laughs) two pairs of the same shoe (laughs) yeah Uh, we do have uh, jennifer coolidge's character who is a kind of bimbo-ish um slightly airheady woman who has married i feel like she never she never gets away from that character i don't know whether that is is something she approves of or not but she is always that character uh, yes, and she's married to a very old man, played by that guy who plays very old men in comedy films <laughs> around this time. <laughs> um, and Jane Lynch is involved with that story directly because she's the dog handler, and then it turns out there's something going on between them. They're actually in a relationship, and that doesn't really go anywhere either. It's kind of a big well, reveal it, at the moment, but then yeah, it's just like, it's eh, a big, <laughs> it's a big reveal, and it's kind of hard to know how you're meant to take it. Like, is is it a punchline? Is it? meant to be some sort of emotional payoff to something. It, it it kind of just happens and then it's there. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything, does it, really, <laughs> ultimately? Yeah. I suppose it's probably just meant to be a character arc so that yeah, I think so. those two have a happy ending, but... Or at least, like, some some sense of, like, because, like, you know, a lot of the rest of the couples are actually couples, It's you, you sort of automatically think, well, these two have got to be a couple of some kind at some point. Um, it definitely feels like, like it's planted. leading up to it, yeah, yeah. yeah. It definitely feels yeah, yeah. like it's yeah. sowing some seeds of that. So it doesn't come as a huge shock, but then, it, yeah, it just, like, nothing, it just doesn't mean anything, really, at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I will say that I really like Jennifer Coolidge. I think she is one of those people who, you know, as far as improv goes, she... She never quite makes the obvious choice. She always does something a little bit odd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that lends something to the characters she plays. Well, I think with this with this character, like I felt like the whole time there was some sort of like secret that she never quite revealed, even towards the very end. Mm. Where I was like, is she is she happy in the new relationship? Because she still feels really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um yeah. like <laughs> like not not non-committal and just like eating her ice cream or whatever and, and nodding <laughs> along. Mm. It is a bit of a skill to play dumb to kind of play mm-hmm. as, as she's not like a total idiot like but she's 
she's just an airhead, I guess, is the idea. She's never obviously never engaged with that element of her life. And it's difficult to play that well. I think she does a really good job of it without it being sort of silly or caricature or anything like that. I think she nails it. It's great. Oh, we didn't mention... We were talking really about how the char- some of the characters have these kind of... Oh, look, this is th- that character. Uh, and one thing we have here that runs throughout is Catherine O'Hara's character used to be a slut (laughs) before she settled down recognizing her everywhere she goes which is a nice little running gag like i was gonna say at least that's a an actual gag they get out of it it's not just a personality trait it's oh she keeps bumping into these people yeah and it works on the on the basis that every single one of them just has no tact at all just sort of comes up and i remember i banged you in the back of a volkswagen once you know that was weird yeah (laughs) You know, I banged a lot of waitresses in my day. You, you, you were the best. You don't forget the best. No. <laughs> oh, Jerry, Ooh, Jerry, what? oh, Jerry. They've got to do Jerry. something about the air conditioning. Okay. It's getting, uh... It's great to see. Okay. But I think it's also, like, set up so that Eugene Levy's character can just, like, you can just watch him experience that and have to deal with it. <laughs> I kind of like that. It was just the same joke three times, four times, yep. whatever it was, but yep. it worked. It was fine. It just, I don't know, it felt like it was lacking a, the conclusion of that whole, dare I say, arc or running gag is just Eugene Levy bashing his head on a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just kind of felt like, I don't know, I mean, it not not as obvious as this, but it just felt like it needed a moment such as him going up to the guy and being like, you know what, pal, go take a hike and then like storming off with his or something like that the great I thing know, would have just... been if they're just in the supermarket or and some beautiful woman walks yes. up and goes oh yeah, hey yeah. you remember me we you know the to yeah. him yeah and he's yes. just like gets yeah. all embarrassed like oh, no i don't know remember you <laughs> she makes some kind of like innuendo about his two left feet and <laughs> yeah yeah you know what they say about a man with two left yeah, exactly. feet exactly <laughs> but i say i don't think there is much of a resolution it's, they've obviously gone right we've got a built-in arc here because it's a competition with a result we've got a bit we've got a built-in beginning middle and end and then the characters can just be in that and exist and but if you don't plan ahead if you don't kind of come like what's gonna our conclusion gonna be you're not necessarily gonna find that big finish but if you're trying to emulate documentary which is real life you don't necessarily get some big character Mm. arcs you know you don't accept a good documentary filmmaker will generally be figuring out what the storyline and the arc is as they're making it and make sure they've got the footage that they can then edit into something with plot structure you know i i've but that is a fine line we've like you say with grizzly man you know it's basically made up from beginning to end using using what footage Werner herzog saw which was about you know five percent of what timothy dreadwell shot so you know, it, it is a thin line of wait on just. I know this is a bit of a sideline, but in terms of documentary, like where where do you draw the line of how much influence you have, what are you sh- representing, yeah. what are you showing, and all that sort of thing. Um, there's a couple of moments I'd like to point out, specific moments. One that has remained with me since I watched this the first time, probably about 18 years ago, and it's the bit where Christopher Guest is naming nuts. That's like peanut, hazelnut. Cashew nut, macadamia nut. That was the one that was sent her <laughs> into a, going crazy. She said, "You stop naming nuts." He's just naming macadamia nut. Whenever I hear macadamia nut, I always go, "Stop naming nuts." Why has that stuck in my head for two decades? It's ridiculous. I think it's just like funny bit. 
I think he's he like he managed to pick like exactly the right accent for that character, so that the only way that you could say those lines is in that accent, and that that, <laughs> that anytime you hear the word macadamia, that's all you think of. Macadamia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the thing that um, jumped out to me when I watched it this time was like he used a, an analogy later talking about like something moving faster than like a walnut rolling off a like farmhouse roof yeah. or something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I really enjoyed for the specificity of it. I wa- I watched uh, some of the deleted scenes and there's one bit where it's just him talking, you know, but he's basically talking about how, you know, the, the people from like one county over or whatever, they talk like this and he just does kind of the same <laughs> thing, but like a bit faster and more mumbled. And then he's like, oh, and then people from over there talk like this and he just talks a bit slower. Yeah, well, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't even understand him because they would say, you know, I live uh, just down, just pound down Sano near the Scalabal then. Was he having, you know, trying to roll any kind of flip up? And you hear the flip-up part, you say, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. And they say, well, I'm a Carpomp County boy, and that's that's all you to be understanding. And you say, I don't understand that, but what you're saying is it's all because of the high-tension wires that uh, that would be happening, you know. But it felt really like he'd done his research onto this accent, mm-hmm. and he was like, okay, I'm going to use it all. Uh, there's another deleted scene with the Christopher Guest character, and I think I, I think it works that it's deleted because basically it's him, and it's like, oh, this is the sh-. like it's him outside his house in this big shed, and he opens the door, and goes, oh, this is where I keep my beach ball collection, and there's all these inflated beach balls in this shed, like he's obviously just rammed full of beach balls, and he's just talking about how his beach balls, he picks one out, he goes, oh, this is like a an FB one thirty, it's a classic design, you know, this one's a really good example, and it's just like it's a bit too silly and comedic for that character and for the film in general, I think. It just sort of crosses mm-hmm. the line. Uh, so I think it's probably a good thing they took it out. Mm-hmm. But it's still funny. It's still a sort of funny little moment, but it has no relevance to anything at all. Uh, did you know, oh, did you know that there was apparently, um, they cut out a whole bit where Parker Posey's character was doing drugs. Yeah, 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 I read that, yeah. And, uh, she was they, like, they, like, smoked weed, yeah. I, when I read that, I was like, really? Would that... I don't think that would have worked. She seemed more of a coke head is, to me. <laughs> I, I was going to say, is, yeah. is the idea that she gets really stressy when she you know, needs to have a toke and then it calms her down afterwards? Yeah, or I don't is know. It, or is it just a kind of complete misunderstanding <laughs> of how drugs tend to affect people? It's like when Homer Simpson smoked weed in that episode and then it was like, yellow submarine like yeah. <laughs> full on trippy animation sequence and it was like oh okay that's <laughs> that's why you never go on the weeds that's all yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> don't know if that's accurate uh there's another moment which i was just wondering if you was this a deliberate thing when after they win uh, the yeah. dog show gene levy's character's there with the dog and the, he wins and he starts going cookie cookie shouting to his wife Mm-hmm. Was that a deliberate bit off Rocky where he's where he comes out the fight? He's going Adrian, oh, Adrian. Was that a deliberate reference? Um, I mean, I feel like that reference is in so many things that like <laughs> it's quite easy to spot it even when it isn't there. You know. <laughs> well, I think it's a deliberate reference to Rocky. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but I mean, you you thought Clancy Brown going yippee on in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie was a reference to Dr. Robotnik's hey, Mean Bean Machine. I stand by that. I stand by that. I'm going to find that sound clip out because I'm going to compare the two. I mean, I, I, Alan, I'll, I, I'm editing that episode. At the, oh, no, sorry. I was editing that episode the other night and uh, I actually went and dug up the audio clips and compared them and then I thought I'll spare you the embarrassment and just cut the whole <laughs> cut the whole the whole tangent. <laughs> Lies, damn lies. 
Uh, so <laughs> I'm gonna do it, look it up for myself. You obviously looked at the wrong thing. Uh, so yeah, do you think that this film would be better if it was filmed uh, in what dare I call cinema unawareate style, <laughs> uh, or cinematic concealism um, is the name you, I prefer? You're gonna have to lay out exactly how that would work. Would, would you would you get some comedy improvers and send them into a real dog yeah, show? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, I think we need to just for Kate's benefit and for any listeners who are not aware of it. Do you know what cinematic concealism is? The, the, my guess is kind of what. Uh, soldier said there of like make a film without some people being aware you're making a film it's catching on alan perfect yeah pretty much it's where people know they're being filmed Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily realize the full extent of why so borat is the obvious example you know people know they're being interviewed by this guy but they don't know the reality so it's not hidden camera it's like hidden camera stuff Uh but the camera doesn't have to be hidden yeah Uh, but like the end the end purpose isn't clear and or or, yeah yeah, like there might be sort of like a a certain understanding of like what it's for Yeah, and I and and I would say it's kind of like prank show stuff, except uh-huh. there are dramatic examples that don't do it for laughs. There was that Scarlett Johansson film Under the Skin where she drove around the streets of Scotland picking up men in a van, yeah, <laughs> which wasn't done for laughs, even though it was kind of funny. So yeah, I think you could do that with this film. Yeah, just get get people put them into a dog show, and but they're actually playing a character. Mm. I think the problem with that is in those dog shows, like everybody knows each other, don't they? It's kind of like how would mm-hmm. you bring in new people? Well, you you'd probably have to do it with one or two characters entering, and you focus in on them rather than we're entering six new dogs. So I think you could probably do it with with a central character or pair of characters. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's that much scope to fuck about at a dog show. <laughs> it seems like something Mark Wooten would do rather than something Sasha Baron Cohen would do, you know? <laughs> well, Sasha Baron Cohen would, like, go to a dog breeder and go, now I take the dog semen, now I wank it off. <laughs> and then he would, like, try and wank off the dog. And go, no, yeah. ain't, ain't how we do it around here. <laughs> that's, that's Sasha Baron Cohen's career there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Much. Mark Strong plays the dog. <laughs> got no dignity left at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I think I would be more inclined to like it and find it funny. So yes, but obviously it would have to be made well enough for that. You know, it'd have to work. Yeah. Uh, so shall we rate the film? Sol, do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had this down as a 6 out of 10 before I rewatched it. It's just kind of there, I don't really find it that funny. But I rewatched it, and it it's an easy enough watch. I, I kind of enjoyed it enough that I've 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 bumped it up, basically, to a, a very generous, I think, 7 out of 10. Which, you know, I don't think all that much of the comedy stylings of Christopher Guest, but <laughs> it's fine, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, interestingly, uh, I had this down as a nine when I came to to look it up. Uh, that's from probably when I watched it the first time. And you you do like films where nothing happens and the characters don't change. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I do like this kind of light comedic touch, I suppose. But I think something you said, Kate, uh, a minute ago about yeah, you ca- you can't quite appreciate it at the same level as when you saw it the first time and things have changed slightly and it's dated mm. and basically I've come the other way I've dropped down a point I've gone to an 8 out of 10 mm. I think yeah like coming into it I think I probably would have put it at like, at, at like yeah like an 8 out of 10 and I think 
I think I probably stay around, stay at, at, at eight, but it is, it's also kind of, there's definitely an element of like comfort watching to it, which just, I just enjoy watching it. And I think that will make up for any lack of like groundbreaking film technique or anything like that. I just enjoy watching it and it's still a fun film. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that you're right as well. It, it, it has become dated because, you know, the, the office, which um, mm-hmm. was what, the following year after this came out? Or the same year around then, anyway. Yeah. Or was it the same year? 2000. Yeah, yeah, The Office is, you know, this tightly scripted sitcom, and I do find it very funny. And then off the back of The Office, you know, The Office broke America, and then for the next 15 years, every sitcom Mm -hmm. (laughs) from America was also a mockumentary. You know, it it just became the standard format. Mm -hmm. So suddenly all these very well-written, tightly scripted funny shows are all using this format it's you know much less of a loose feel the the american office and parks and recreation mm-hmm. and various episodes of community decrying the fact that it became standard arrested development technically mm-hmm. uh modern family just every sitcom <laughs> basically <laughs> that that didn't have a studio audience so I suppose it is a bit of a relic now. Well, yeah, and like going going back to this now, it, it is like you watch it and you're like, this is like a bunch of mates just sort of like having fun, making making up characters and like seeing where it goes, which like it's, you know, it's it's kind of, they're clearly all like enjoying themselves and having a good time. And so, so I enjoy watching it when, you know, when the actors are having fun, but that's also kind of the extent of it. That's that's why Alan likes uh, <laughs> Grown Ups too, isn't it? <laughs> 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 Adam Sandler's really enjoying himself in that one. Yeah. You always use that as an example to hold against me, but I don't think I even <laughs> liked it that much, did I? <laughs> I mean, maybe it was Grown Ups. I one. think it was Grown Ups one that I enjoyed more than okay, I should have. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I have a weakness for shit comedy with like, the Vince Vaughn types. I know he's not in that one, but you know. Hmm. Yeah. But it's not like I really think it's a great piece of work. It's just sort of like I can watch it and yeah, I'm, it's just I'm fun. Fine with it. Yeah. We should. We haven't done Adam Sandler yet, have we? We should. We should mm. do Hubie Halloween or something. <laughs> oh, going overboard. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Jack and Jill. <laughs> oh, God. Oh dear. Okay. Uh, well, that's best in show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Uh, thank you, Kate, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Sol, uh, any ideas what we got next week? We got have we got uh, a, an action uh, extravaganza next week? Is that what we're doing next week? It's I think so. The return of Cage. <laughs> <laughs>